Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Vox Tablet. It's me, Sarah Ivry, your host. Today, Jews and sports. Now, here at Tablet, Mark Tracy, our former blogger, was and is as fanatical, if not more so, about NFL stats as he is about political polls. Mark left Tablet earlier this year to take up a position at the New Republic magazine, but he's joining us on the podcast today to talk about a new book called Jewish Jocks. Mark co-edited Jewish Jocks with Franklin Foer, his friend and new boss at the New Republic. The book is a collection of pithy and gripping essays on everyone, from the exceedingly famous athletes like baseball player Sandy Koufax, to more unsung heroes such as competitive eater Don Lerman. It includes contributors like Howard Jacobson, Rebecca Goldstein, David Brooks, Buzz Bissinger, and many others. We're going to talk about it all in a moment, but first, Mark, Frank, welcome to Box Tablet. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me back. Now, Mark, for those of us who know you, this next question doesn't really bear asking, but for everyone else out there who doesn't know you, why did you want to put this collection together? Well, I, I, as you know, if you know me, as you said, uh, I'm a big sports fan. I'm a big fan of the Jews. I'm a big <laughs> fan of connecting those two things. And this seemed like a natural book. And, and in addition, it does feed sort of some longstanding obsessions of mine. Um, in terms of the way that Jews shape culture generally, um, I wrote uh, I wrote a piece for Tablet once on the American Football League, which merged with the National Football League, and uh, there are a lot of important Jewish innovators in the American Football League, including Al Davis of the Oakland Raiders, who's featured in our book. And I remember writing that you know the story of the way the American Football League. Uh, changed football would be familiar to anyone who knows how George Gershwin changed popular music or how Saul Bellow changed the American novel. Um, And that's definitely a point that's important to me. And that's definitely a point that uh, Jewish jocks this book uh, tries to make. And what about you, Frank? Where do you come in? Are you also a sports nut? I love sports. And like Mark, every time I, I look down at the field and I see a player named Rosenthal or Rosenberg or Kinsler, um, I immediately go to that place that I, where I think most uh, Jewish viewers of sports go, which is to ask, is that guy really one of us? And I, um, I think part of it is, is that it comes from a misperception about the history of Jewish sports, which is that I think we all have deeply enshrined in our heads this sense that there's something inconsistent between um, between Jewishness and athleticism or athletic achievement. And one of the points of this book and one of the pleasures of it is that it shows that um, that the history is real, that the contributions to sports are immense. And um, I think it was one of these things where as we were going along, we had a sense that we were um, out to correct some stereotypes, but I don't think we knew how it would all add up till the very end of the, the book, where we had all these essays gathered before us, and it became clear that, um, that, that, that we weren't dealing with oddities, and we weren't dealing with one-offs, that we were dealing with a real tradition that, that really left a, a heavily Jewish imprint on all these essentially um, American institutions. 
Now, in addition to editing this really fantastic collection, you both contributed chapters. Mark, yours is about the basketball player Dolph Shays, and Frank, you wrote about the famous boxer Benny Leonard. I'd love it if you could both tell us what drew you each to these particular subjects. And maybe, Frank, you can start us off with Benny Leonard. So Benny Leonard was one of the first great boxing champions of this century. Um, His career spans from 1917 all the way up through the 1930s. And um, one of the real chapters in the history of American Jewish life that is uh, remembered with kind of fetishistic fondness by some American Jews and is completely neglected and comes as a surprise to others is that Jews played a very central role in the invention of boxing as a sport, that it was a game that was populated by Jewish athletes, and it was a game that was uh, celebrated by Jewish writers and Jewish promoters, and um, Jews were involved in, in the sport in every sort of way, from founding the crucial gymnasia in New York City, where, where, where the great boxing techniques were invented, to the company Everlast, which supplies the boxing gloves and the, um, and, and, and the punching bags. And Leonard, I think, was a pivotal figure, not just in the history of boxing, where he is ranked among the, you know, the top ten champions of all time, but really in the history of Jewish sports, that he was a guy who had an incredibly wholesome image. He was a relentless mama's boy who liked to talk about his affection for his, mom, his mother all the time. And, you know, when Jews came to this country, they had a great deal of anxiety about sports, that it was seen as a use of the body in a way that somehow undermined the entire rationale for immigrating to this country. We came all the way from the shtetl so that our kids could get into this ring and bloody themselves silly. But Leonard, with his um, uh, white as snow uh, reputation, did a lot to change the Jewish perception of sports. He helped, he helped if you will, kosher sports as a, as a Jewish pastime and fascination. Now, Mark, in your essay about the NBA star Dolph Shays, you reveal that you're always basically looking for an excuse to pick up the phone and give him a call. Why do you like talking to Dolph Shays so much? It's a, it's a great question. Um, I mean, the short answer is I like kibitzing with old Jewish men, um, <laughs> really. And um, I mean, I like kibitzing with old Jewish women, too. But uh, I, I definitely felt, felt a special connection to to old Jewish men, partly because I know I'm going to be one one day, partly because I am hopefully, you know, partly because I imagine what I would have been had I been born then. Uh, you know, I dedicated the book uh, to, to my two grandfathers. Um, and in terms of Dolph, uh, you know, he's kind of a character over the phone. He's a bit gruff, uh, which apparently I, I, when I was researching the essay, I found that, you know, back in the 50s when he was a young man, he was also a bit gruff. Um <laughs> And I guess that essay, I mean, part of the reason I wrote that essay is because I think it's important to establish that, you know, Dolph Shays wasn't just great basketball player adjusted for Jewishness. You know, if this were some advanced stat, it would be the adjusted for Jewishness metric. He was actually a great basketball player, period. Um, and not enough people know that and I wanted to sort of set that straight. But another part of it is a kind of sense that now, you know, even though it's only 60 years later, and I mean, the time that Frank's talking about with Benny Leonard was another different time. You know, the 1950s is sort of in the middle of this. It's when the assimilation is really beginning. Now, 
you know, we really are, you know, all things considered, we still have our nice little magazines, which is great, of course. But, you know, we are as assimilated as we've ever been. And talking to Dolph for me is about going back to a time when Jews were a little more distinct and it was a little more of a distinction to be Jewish probably than it is now. Um, and of course, proving as always that all nostalgia is false nostalgia. Dolph's response to this is basically that's BS. Like, I grew up in the Bronx. Who do you think everyone I knew was? You mm-hmm. think everyone I knew was Jewish. Everyone played basketball because that's what we did. I mean, you know, it, it's nothing to him. He would never fetishize himself this way. Uh, but so that's kind of what it was about for me. And uh, yeah, I should I should give I should give Dolph another call at the, uh, <laughs> the book summit. Now, one of the things that's really neat about this book is it's not just a collection of straight biographies of the world's most famous Jewish athletes. As you both put it in the title of the book, it's an unorthodox hall of fame. And certainly there are famous athletes in the book. You've got people like the tennis player Renee Richards, the great Olympic swimmer Mark Spitz. But the pieces in this collection are as much about the writers as they are about the subject. How did you guys come up with that approach? So the whole book was intended to to provide this much broader sociological portrait of Jewish life. And so as we went about compiling it, it was important to us that we not just tell stories and not just tell stories of famous people, but also tell stories of people who've been kind of lost to history. And it was also important to us that, um, that all of these essays added up to, to something, that they, that they helped reveal something not just about the character of the athletes uh, who were the subjects, but also make some broader points about the sociology of of Jewish life in in this country. And there are also subjects who we we have um, we have Israelis, we have Dutchmen, we have Englishmen in the book. One of my favorite pieces, and I think uh, it'll be one of the more surprising pieces, is the opening essay, which is done by the great historian Simon Shama, and it's about it's about Daniel Mendoza, who was a bare-knuckle boxing champion in late 18th century London. And uh, one of the reasons that Mendoza was such a great champion was that he invented a style of boxing that was much more heady, intellectual, strategic than uh, a lot of the standard techniques at the time. And that, that, that becomes one of the, the big themes in the book, which is the role of Jewish athletes as kind of as innovators, as disruptive forces, as, uh, as, as people who, who force new strategic thinking into the games that they play. Um, but so that piece is, is, is kind of beautiful in that regard, but it also makes a lot of interesting points about Jewish life in uh, late 18th century Britain. And Daniel Mendoza um, happens to be the first Jew who ever in the whole history of uh, of England to meet the king or queen of, of England. And, the, and, the, and the, the essay begins with this wonderful set piece where Shama, in his uh, inimitable style, describes this, uh, this very awkward uh, meeting by, between the king of England, uh, King George III, the mad king, um, and, and Daniel Mendoza. When you approached writers like Simon Shama or Shalom Auslander or any of these people, did they come up with a particular subject that they wanted to write about or did you propose a subject matter to them? It, it, it was definitely a, a mix. So 
you know, in some cases, we, you know, knowing writers' works, knowing the journalists themselves, knowing the writers, uh, we had a good idea of who they would be good for. I mean, you'll see on the cover that Jane Levy wrote about Sandy Koufax. Jane Levy wrote Sandy Koufax's biography. Um, every every Jewish writer in America who likes sports, myself included, probably thinks they have the ultimate Sandy Koufax essay in them. But in <laughs> fact, they're wrong because Jane Levy has the ultimate Sandy Koufax essay in her because Sandy Koufax came to her daughter's bat mitzvah, which is what that essay is actually about. And I don't even want to spoil it too much, but <laughs> definitely worth checking out. But in other cases, you know, there were total surprises. You mentioned uh, Shalom. He writes about his sensei, um, you know, growing up in Westchester or the Bronx. or The, the, the sensei City. lived in the Bronx, yeah. Um, you know, in the 80s at Yeshiva U, right. And, um, and he invented this school of martial arts called Torah Dojo, pun intended. It's sort of a mixture of Kabbalist mysticism and various... East Asian martial arts. I mean, it would be a vast understatement to say that it didn't occur to us to pair Shalom Auslander with Harvey Sober, the sensei, Sifu, as he's called, because we had no idea who Sifu was. Um, And, you know, we wouldn't have. And had we not approached Shalom and had Shalom not come up with that, there would be no essay about him, which would be a shame because it turns out that Sifu is an amazing figure in, in and of himself who many people will be interested to learn about and also someone who, who's, you know, theories about martial arts, uh, you know, say a lot about Jewish power. Um, so it was a very happy mixture of the two of us pitching writers on subjects, us us going to writers and suggesting subjects, um, us pitching writers on subjects, them saying no, but I'll write about this guy or this girl. And uh, so I'm really happy with how that turned out. A lot of the writing is very lively, and some of it is really quite moving. And I wonder, Mark, if we could have you read a short section from the essay by the novelist David Bezmozgis about the Soviet weightlifter Grigory Novak. Uh, Before you do that, though, maybe you can give us a little background, set it up just so that people know kind of the overall uh, thrust of this particular piece. Well, this is a piece that uh, uh, David Bezmozgis did for us, which – as with many of the pieces, has a personal element. His own his own father uh, knew this guy who was a uh, weightlifter. It was actually the first Soviet – and actually today on the uh, Jewish Jocks Twitter feed, which you can follow at <laughs> Jewish Jocks, uh, we posted because this is the anniversary in I think 1946. Grigory Novak became the first Soviet world champion in anything because before then – Soviets boycotted all the Western athletic events because they were, you know, bourgeois, whatever. Uh, but after World War II, they stopped and Grigory Novak set a world record in, you know, lifting some absurd amount of weight. And so I guess here is how uh, uh, David Bismarckis describes, you know, sort of an introduction to this guy, Grigory Novak. The lives of athletes are inherently dramatic and often colorful, but even by those standards, Novak's life was extraordinary. He was born in Chernobyl, Ukraine in 1920. His mother died when he was three. As a boy, he became enamored of the circus and performed as an acrobat. In the early 1930s, his father moved the family to Kiev. When he was 11, Novak went to work with his father, digging foundations for buildings. Even at this young age, he displayed preternatural strength. In contests between builders and carters, Novak outwrestled and outlifted grown men. In 1937, he joined the wrestling club at Dynamo Kiev and immediately demolished his competition. Then he caught the eye of the weightlifting coach, and by 1939, he had set his first Soviet record, which exceeded the world record. By the summer of 1941, when the war began, Novak was middleweight champion of the USSR, a married man with a young son. 
Because of his stature, the Soviets quickly evacuated him to Novosibirsk in Siberia and allowed him to bring his wife and son. His own father managed to flee Kiev just ahead of the Germans. His wife's family remained behind. Her mother and sister were murdered at Babi Yar. Thank you. That really does, in such a short passage, encompass so much of history, not just Jewish history, but Soviet history and world history and this guy's personal history. Besides uh, athletes in this book, Jewish Jocks, you guys also include pieces on coaches, on gamblers, on sports writers, and other individuals whom I wouldn't necessarily think of as jocks, like, for instance, Don Lerman, whom we mentioned earlier. Now, he won eating contests. Why cast such a large net? Because the Jewish contribution to sports really, I mean, some of it takes place on the field, but a lot of it takes place off the field. And um, take football, which is a sport that I think of as completely un-Jewish. Like, I can't, I don't know, I didn't know any (laughs) kids growing up who played football because their moms and dads wouldn't let them play. But you look at the history of the sport and you go back to the position of the modern quarterback was invented by two Jews, Benny Friedman and Sid Luckman. And then you look at a lot of the strategy that that offenses are built around, and a lot of it was developed by Sid Gilman, who was a a coach with uh, the San Diego uh, Chargers. And then you look at the modern football franchise and the way that that was invented by Al Davis, who was a Jewish general manager and Jewish owner of the Oakland Raiders. And that's a pretty uh, um, massive contribution to the history of the game and to a game that you wouldn't think of as particularly Jewish. And so, you know, to get the full sweep of the history, it was important to, to expand the definition of jock, to include uh, a bunch of these desk jockeys and coaches and the like. Um, and it's also, I mean, to us, it was kind of an essential part of the whole, the whole joke, which is that um, it was, it was the, the Yiddish cops, it was the Jewish mind that uh, helped bring so much to bear on the history of sport. Were you concerned at all that people, though, will say, well, you had to cast a wide net because there aren't that many uh, actual athletes who are Jewish, just as people are often like, well, Jews in the music industry, they're really behind the scenes. They're getting, you know, they're pulling the strings, but they're not actually the creative uh, agents. Well, I'd have two responses to that. First is to say exactly what Frank said, um, which is that it's silly to think of athletics being solely about the athletes. And in fact, you take a guy like Al Davis, one of the things Al Davis was most famous for, one of his greatest innovations as a football mind was, you know, back in the day, coaches like Vince Lombardi, Paul Brown, you know, there would be famous stories of some guy, some running back taking the ball, running it through the incorrect hole, scoring a touchdown and then getting reprimanded by the coach. Uh, Al Davis was like, you know, screw that. I'm going to go after the most talented guys. And uh, we have a great essay uh, which deals with that. I'm going to go after the most talented guys. I'm going to let these athletes thrive. There was some there was some uh, blowback to that given Al Davis's personality. But uh, so I think it's silly to say that athletics is solely about the athletes. You need people in this position uh, to do this. You need people like Howard Cassell, um, who is also featured in the book in an essay by David Remnick, you know, to be on Monday Night Football and to mythologize these people. The second response I'd have is you want to make your pamphlet joke. That's fine. Make, make the airplane pamphlet joke. You still have to reckon with Mark Spitz. You still have to reckon with Sandy <laughs> Koufax and Hank Greenberg. You still have to reckon with Benny Leonard and Barney Ross. Uh, you know, these are not aberrations. These are not exceptions. The, these the, are, the other thing is, is that I think this is a, a – a lot of the books about Jewish athletes that have been written in the past are 
are excellent, but there's often time, uh, times of self-consciousness and, and anxiety that pervades them, like this need to create a canon and this need to assert something about Jewish physicality. And uh, I think we started this book without any anxieties about Jewish physicality. I mean, we, we grew up in this milieu where we're kind of athletically incompetent and that just doesn't matter to us. And, and you know, we're, we're still able to be unselfconscious fans. And I think it's maybe testament to, um, to the self-confident place that Jews hold in America now. And so we were able to go about this book in a way that was producing a, a collection of portraits and arguments that very much reflect the the reality of the Jewish experience in sports and kind of the full array of it. And so, yeah, there are going to be some villains in that story. There's going to be Jack Molinas, who was the uh, a basketball player who was one of the most legendary uh, fixers and gamblers in the history of the game, who uh, whose life ended uh, as a porn mogul and getting gunned down on his balcony in Malibu. And there's Arnold Rothstein, who fixed the uh, 1919 World Series. And so the, the, they're villains in this book, and they're, they're mediocrities in this book. David Brooks writes about a player called Art Shamsky who was part of the 1969 Miracle Mets, and he was a mediocre player, and David Brooks, is, David Brooks loves him for his, uh, his mediocrity. Um, and um, I think it's one of the wonderful things about this book is that it just is what it is, and it's a fantastic narrative, and you don't need to puff it up to make it anything better than it actually is. Are there any gaps in the book that you guys tried to fill but you felt that you didn't, and is there maybe a second collection in the works? That, that's obviously the joke is that every, guy, every person we tell about the book you know, says, oh, did you include so-and-so? We'll be like, ah. No. I mean, Kevin Euclid is a very <laughs> common one because there's a ton of Boston fans, including me. Of course, Sarah. I'm a Boston fan. Um, and Kevin Euclid, uh, great ball player. Uh, Thank you. Jewish and uh, actually observant uh, Jewish. Uh, married to Tom Brady's sister as well, I believe. Um, and did not make it into the book. And so that would be a great second volume. In terms of um, re- real true gaps, I think we did a pretty good job. And I mean, if I had to name a couple names, I'd, I'd love I'd love uh, an essay on Abe Saperstein, who is the brains behind the Harlem Globetrotters. Love an essay I re- recently realized uh, on Steve Sable, who just died, who he and his father Ed were the masters behind NFL films. Again, you talk about how mythologizing the athletes is as important as the athletes themselves. Um, the way we think about the NFL was, sh- was shaped entirely by Ed and Steve Sable, his father and son from Jersey. Um, and... Someone joked, there's not really enough on the guy, but technically, I'm going to get his name wrong. I think his name was Lipman Pike or something like that. Lip Pike. Lipman Pike. Lipman Pike was the, basically, he was the first professional baseball player in the sense that he was the first person ever paid to play baseball in like 1879. And he was Jewish. And I mean, that's just a bizarre one. But I mean. I would, I would add that, um, that if you looked at the present, there may be some people who are, who are on the um, uphill part of their careers and mm-hmm. it's it's hard to know if they deserve in the, to be in the book or not but Ryan Braun um, the oh, sure. Milwaukee Brewers outfielder is somebody who uh, seems like he's perhaps on a canonical path and uh, his uh, his scandal 
erupted in the middle of our book. And so we'd had a piece assigned on Ryan Braun, and we just didn't know how that story was going to play out. And so we, uh, we yanked that one from the book to avoid any risk of coming down on the wrong side of history with, with, with our take. The scandal, of course, for people who don't know, being that maybe he doped. Um, I will offer you two suggestions if there is a volume two. Go for it. Ali Reisman, who is a gold medalist at the Olympics this year. We do have Carrie Strug. Carrie Strug is in the collection already. And also, as somebody who is a runner, I would also recommend Fred Lebeau, oh, the my God. founder of the New York Roadrunners of course, Club. Of course. I'm a runner as well, and I, I do know who Fred Lebeau is. Anyway, Mark, Frank, I have great confidence that this collection is going to fulfill the dreams of more than a few readers and listeners in our orbit, and I wish you great success with it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Mark Tracy and Frank Foer are the editors of Jewish Jocks, an unorthodox hall of fame. It's out this week from 12 Books. And we want to know if you have a favorite Jewish jock. You can let us know who it is by posting a comment on our website at the podcast page, tabletmag.com. You can also email us directly at podcast at tabletmag.com. And, of course, share this podcast far and wide. We appreciate that. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm your host, Sarah Ivory. Thank you so much for listening. Go Pats. And we hope you'll join us again next week. 